This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 222. And the quote of the day is, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you will never come up with anything original. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here. Another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And this is uh, the week after the election. And I'm going to do something that uh, everyone else... I'm going to do something different than everybody else is doing. We ain't talking about politics. We're talking about drums. So, uh, first off, this session, it's kind of long. It's like an hour and 40-some minutes. And I polled everybody online to see if I should break it up into two sessions or if you would rather have it in one. And thanks to Morgan and Lawrence and Carlo and Luis and everybody who commented on the on the Facebook post and then the people who voted on Twitter and the majority I think like 90% of the people 95% of the people said that they wanted this in longer form rather than me breaking this up into two parts. So if you voted against it, I'm sorry. And uh, I guess you can just hit the pause button and come back when you're ready to keep listening. So this is one long session with Clarence Penn. Before we get into it, I want to let you know if you want to head over to drummersresource.com forward slash gigs, there's a five part email series that'll help you get bigger and better gigs. And whether you're You've never played a gig before or you're playing at a level and you just want to get to the next level. Uh, this five-part email series will help you do that. It's 100% free. You can go over drummersresource.com forward slash gigs, G-I-G-S. Sign up for that and you'll get the five-part email series. And now let's get into this interview. This is with Clarence Penn. And this is a really a great interview. We get really deep. Like I said, it's a, it's a longer interview and uh, he just drops a ton of knowledge. We talk about all sorts of stuff about about being original and about developing, you know, sort of developing your own style, but also being a chameleon so that you can give the people what they're looking for and, and the idea of a conversation when you're playing and things like that. So cover a lot in this episode and it's it's really great to have him. I, I've, I've been trying to get him on for a little while now. So thank you to Carl Allen for connecting us. And without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only Clarence Penn. Clarence Penn, what's happening, my man? What's up, Nick? It's good to be here. I I appreciate you uh, you taking the time to chat. We hooked this up a long time ago, and normally when I gotta I gotta applaud you because normally when things get scheduled this far out, they usually get canceled. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know this this window of um, three days. That's what I got. Yeah, I I kind of wanted to keep it open. I just finished the Vanguard um, Sunday. Oh, okay. I was there for a week. Yeah, I was there for a week with um, Scott Colley and uh, Seamus Blake and um, this Italian piano player named uh, Enrico Piernunzi. Uh, we did a live record there a couple of years ago. And so we we're doing basically kind of like the record release reunion thing, oh, cool. uh, the Vanguard. So, yeah. And like I say, I got this just a couple days, these three days uh, before I um, go to do my my show at the Temple University. I'm doing a master class and a clinic um and that'll be on wednesday so nice that's my that's my old stomping grounds oh really well well, i'm originally from philly yeah oh oh that's right that's right yeah Yeah. you know i've been checking out a few of the podcasts while i was on the road so they're they're really they're really great man i well i appreciate that man i appreciate it it's great that you're doing it because no you know no i don't no one else is doing 
this kind of, you know, it's just, um, you guys are just rapping. It's yeah. not all technical. It's not like, you know, well, some guys have a wealth of information. Right. <laughs> so th- that that's great too. But it's just, you know, it's not about, um, you know, stickings and all of that kind of stuff, even though that's important. But it's just, you know, you just get a, a little bit of um, insight into what different cats are thinking about mm-hmm. and how th- they feel and, you know. I think, you know, for me, I always, I started this as a way to sort of ask all the questions that I've always wanted to ask people. And I thought that other people would want to know them, too. And a lot of my questions weren't, how did you play that inverted paradiddle on track seven of this tune? It was more like, you know, how do you deal with having a wife and a kid and being on the road? You know, and like, how do you handle <laughs> exactly. money? And like, I mean, there was, you know, all of these things that I've always wanted to ask people since I was a kid. So now I am uh, fortunate enough to, to have the opportunity and, you know, and, and to have you on and, and, and talk about things and hear everyone's different perspectives so that all the listeners can t- sort of take bits and pieces and create their, their thing out of it. And, uh, right. Well, so that's, 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 that's cool. Cause I, I got two kids and a wife and we're all happy and, you know, it's work. You just gotta, you know, prior prioritize and, you know, mm-hmm. I'll keep, I'll keep saying this, but you, you know, it all helps in the, in the, in the happiness. You have to, um, find that balance. You know, I, mm-hmm. for me, I like, I like when I sit down on the drums that it's, it's still fun. You know, I, I do practice. I don't overly practice, but I do practice. But I still leave that room for uh, to explore when I sit behind the drum set. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't always want to know what's going to come out. Oh, I've been practicing these singles between the bass drum and it's in, in my right hand or, you know, these fives or whatever. You know, I want to I want to sit down on the drums and 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 know that there's that that. um that that area out there that I don't know. I don't know what's going to come out, or I don't know if I have the chops to pull off this thing that I'm hearing in my head. Right. You know, I enjoy mm-hmm. that, you know? And that plays into when I'm at home, and, you know, I, I spend time with my kids and my wife, and, you know, I, I love cooking. That's my, that's my other passion. If I wasn't playing drums, I would be... I don't know if I would be a chef, but, you know, because a chef is a lot of pressure, but... Um, being a chef, um, you know, it allows me to create and, uh, yeah, it just really relaxes me. So, you know, so what's your, what's your, I'm, what's your dish of choice? I see. That's the thing. I mean, I really like cooking, so I don't have a dish of choice. You always mix I it make, up. And- I, man, I make my own pasta. I make my own bread. I just made a batch of kimchi and, and beef jerky this weekend. Nice. Um, you know, I make, uh, my wife have is half French, half Japanese, so I make my handmade noodles, udon and soba, and uh, I smoke my own meats. I'm I'm into cooking, <laughs> so I would like know. to uh, make a reservation for two <laughs> at uh, Ristorante uh, de Clarence. I will be <laughs> my wife and I will be there, and um, and yeah, and you can whip up whatever. You want. No, we're we're currently booked up for the next couple of months, but ah, I'll surely okay. put okay. you on it. <laughs> Yeah, just put, just give me a call when you guys. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll do one of these. Uh, you know, those restaurants they have that the pop up. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pop-up where you kind of you meet them, you meet them in a 
in an alley and then they kind of walk you to the to the restaurant because the right. restaurant doesn't have an address and it's like secretive yeah yeah that's, that's a new york do. thing i get i don't think that a lot of people who, who are listening i mean because you and i are both here like i get it but so the people listening i mean they literally take these restaurants or you know they have restaurants in their homes which they're totally illegal and and you know but they're totally under the radar and they just serve dinner at their house and and most of the time it's like one of the best meals you ever have and they just exactly. go to different locations you know. all over the city and it's cool right you know i guess they they, they circumvent the licensing and all that kind of stuff but, right i mean look you know you're from italy they you man i've a lot of times I'd love to, to just go to somebody's house in Italy and eat what grandma or mama's made and, and you can call it a night, you know? Well, the invitation is there, my man. Anytime, <laughs> anytime you're in Italy the same time I am, you come over and, and we can have some dinner. Okay. Well, everybody's listening, so I'm going to hold you to that one. I, I'm, I tell people all the time, and few people have taken me up on it, but the few who have, I've uh, welcomed them with open arms. So. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> So this has trans. This this used to be the Drummers Resource Podcast. This is now the the Restaurant and Food and Wine <laughs> Podcast. Exactly. Uh, and coincidentally, Drum. I've been in the I've been in the restaurant business pretty much my entire. My family's been in the business since seventy four, and I owned a restaurant with my brother and all that sort of stuff. So get out of here, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, wow, in in Philly or in, outside of Philly? Or, outside of Philly, really? Yeah. Yep. It's. I mean, you know, it's. It seems like it's glamorous, but I know being a restaurateur, it's a, it's a lot of work, you know. I and, will. Um, it is, it is. <laughs> right? I, you know, and here's the here's the issue with it. And for the listeners, I promise we're going to talk about drums too. I know. Uh, <laughs> but because I think this goes with a lot of things, not just restaurants. But when you're in a restaurant, and because and I think of this because a lot of people want to open their own clubs and have live music and all that stuff. So I think this kind of ties in. We're gonna. It's a stretch, but it's we're, it's a tie in. <laughs> Um, but most people associate being in a restaurant, being at a bar, being at a club with having fun. And they're like, man, I would love to open my own place and I would have all this fun, but it would be my own bar or my own restaurant and all that stuff. But the thing that people don't realize when you open up a restaurant, you're not the one who's having all the fun partying and all that stuff. You're the one in the back cooking and cleaning and doing whatever else while all of your friends are out front having the fun <laughs> at the bar right. and then you're like man this sucks and it's long hours and and you don't see anyone exactly no, no. and so it's tough it's tough <laughs> yeah it's um that's so that's like i said it's like you know with it's like with, with with drums you know um i really 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 enjoy cooking but i guess if i had to do it you know um as a job or like with pressure then it wouldn't be as fun you mm-hmm. know sure. so you know, it's it's. I like that the aspect you 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 spoke about. You know, people do go to restaurants to have fun, and you know, I look at going to the drum set. I want to go to the drum set to have fun. Right. So, how do you keep? Because sometimes when it turns into a job, it takes the fun out of it, takes the joy out of it, adds pressure, all that stuff. But with drumming, you've been doing this as a career for years. How do you? How do you still keep it fresh and how do you not allow it to turn into a job? Um, I mean, it's like I was saying before, as far as practice, you know, um, in my opinion, you know, well, let me skip back. When I was in college, I used to practice, you know, four or five hours a day. And then on the weekends, um, I would just be in a practice room 
all day. I wouldn't even leave the room. Um, yeah, I pack a lunch and, um, and I considered that practicing, but it wasn't until later, um, let's say within the, the, the last 10 years, I realized that wasn't practicing. I was playing, but I wasn't practicing. So, um, now when I practice, I work on things that I, I really, I, that I can't play. Mm-hmm. And to and and you know I can only last about an hour, hour and a half maybe when you because it's very frustrating to do something that you can't do that yeah. when you're pushing yourself. So you know that that the level of concentration and you know and I I don't practice um, um, straight through. I heard you talk about taking breaks. I do take breaks. I practice in about twenty or twenty five minute increments, and I take um, three to five minutes off. Try to you know. Uh, take a break and 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 refresh my my myself and then hit back at it again. Um, but I try to um, I practice those things and 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 also I guess with the practice um, I'm always thinking how I could use whatever I'm practicing in a musical situation. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I try not to practice non-genre specific ideas. Even if I got an idea from a certain genre of music, I immediately try to apply it to uh, a, a, another far removed um, genre. Um, so um, I just try to I, I wanted to to I want the drums to feel fresh when I when I sit down behind them. So I, tr- you know, I just don't over practice um things you know in a robotic way or something i and i want to i want to talk specifically about practicing in a second but one of the questions that i get a lot and i would love to hear your opinion on it is okay i'm i'm bad at a lot of things and there's a and you know or how do i know what i'm bad at or how do i know uh what i can't play or if i have 87 things that i can't play which Mm -hmm. one do i work on and how do i work on it and how do i sort of start to make progress in that area. And I would love to, I get, I get that question a lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that question on you because I, I would love to hear your, your, uh, your approach to that. Well, what I do, um, I, I was just, I was just doing it last week, but when I'm playing a gig or when I'm playing, um, and I run across something that I can't play or, or I don't think I play as well. Right after the gig or the break, I'll jot it down in my my iPad. So I have a list of things, <laughs> a very long list of things that I can't do, or that I don't do as well. So when I do have the time to practice, I'll look at this list and I'll go through and I'll pick out three things. Mm-hmm. I'll take those three things and I'll say, okay, for the next month and a half, two months, I'm going to work on these three things, really trying to get them uh, internalized. Um, get them um, to a place where I can completely arrange it in any kind of way on the drum set, you know, just basically get really comfortable with these things. So I give myself, about a, like I said, a month, month and a half to two month uh, kind of schedule and, and uh, I take it from there. And, and what I had to realize um, was that it's, there's no, there's no, it's not a race, you know, right. I know, I feel like, you know, I'm going to be doing this until I die. And hopefully that's going to be a long time from now. Um, so, you know, it keeps me 
um, looking forward to to something. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I really love. That's why I really love playing jazz. I love playing all music, but just when I think about jazz, it you know, it's so it's daunting. It's it's hard. It's like you can always. It's always something you know out there to learn it's always uh very humbling to put on a record and El- listen to elvin or philly or you know mm-hmm. uh, who knows jeff watts or greg or you know anybody it's like man these guys have so much stuff together um and you know i i, I i'm i'm really into taking notes and keeping uh, track of the stuff that i that i can't do or the things that i want to do mm-hmm. you know i spend a lot of time i spend a lot of times on planes and trains and um you know, if I think of a certain, uh, I don't know if it's a polyrhythmic idea that um, that I can't do. I mean, like a lot of us, we can do whatever two polyrhythms, but then to add a third polyrhythm on top of that, you know, it's just difficult. So I would mm-hmm. write that down and or um, I write it down. And then when I get it, get to the hotel, I program it into logic and and hear what it sounds like and then try to figure out how I can uh how I can, how to go about learning this. And once I, once I get it under my belt, try to figure out how to, to get it in, in a musical situation. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So no, what no, are, no. what are some things that I'm going to call you out? What are some things that you feel like you're struggling with or, or that you, that you need to work on now? Well, um, you know, I'd like to, or what I'm working on is playing in three but mm-hmm. playing, um, but when when I'm comping, um, that I'm not just comping in in a very boxy way, you know. Like when mm-hmm. you're playing three four, like playing medium to fast three four, yeah. Um, almost, I don't want to say like Tony Williams, but like, you know, like a, a flowing jazz three four. Mm-hmm. Um, working on uh, comping patterns that that. Uh, that go over several bars as opposed to a uh, comping pattern that goes over two bars or a one bar comping pattern. I may do a five B comping pattern or a seven B comping pattern. Try to, you know, I, 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 what I'm trying to get to is I want the comping to sound um, almost through composed, you know, mm-hmm. when you're playing, when you're playing in three or even when you're playing a four, um, because, you know, um, when you listen to a lot of drummers, um, when they're comping, you can, you can really say, okay, that was a two bar pattern or that was a four bar pattern. But, you know, when you listen to a drummer and it's like, he's playing a seven bar comping pattern over another seven bar comping pattern. And then you got like the 16 bars and you got two bars left over, then, you know, that use that, that part, that two bars to tie it all together. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. mean, so I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do is this, uh, paint bigger pictures comping wise, you know, but have it sound, you know, but have it sound musical, you know, and so, that, you so know, along elongating everything. And, and so it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a bigger, it's a wider, uh, feel versus like you said, very boxy and just, and just right. sort of looping every bar. Right. Because that's what we, you know, for some reason, um, in drums and well, just pr- probably in music in general or jazz in general, you know, we, we deal with uh, those two bar patterns, those four bar patterns, you know, um, because we're in four or mm-hmm. in two, we're in a duple meter, uh, duple meter, even if we're in, in, in three, um, you know, we, we still playing these, these, 
even kind of patterns. But if we start to break up the um, the 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 comping or the way you look at those um, sixteen bars, then that's what I'm I'm into now. You know, or even let's say let's say all right, everybody practice. Well, I love playing the blues, right? Well, I love that. I think it's a great form. It's twelve bars. So you know, you know, you have twelve bars, but who says that you have to play? Uh, every four bars or or two bar phrase or whatever, you got 12 bars, you can break that up in any kind of way you want to, you know? So mm-hmm. I'll come up with, you know, I'll practice like, uh, or I'll work on like, what does it feel like to play a seven bar pattern and then straighten it out for the last, um, f- uh, what's that, four bars, right? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, no, uh, no uh, the, the next five bars, right? Seven, eight. Yeah, exactly. Then the next five bars. So you say if you're playing a blues, um, and I'm soloing, instead of playing, you know, four bars, four bars, four bars, I would play seven bars five. and five bars. Right. Yeah. Or I, or I play five bars and or seven any, bars. Or any combination of twelve. Or any exactly. Right. You know. Right. And, and I, you know, go ahead. No, I would like I I, I want to add to this, and I want to unpack this a little bit for the listeners because I know. When I when I was sort of un, starting to understand this whole concept of elongating and playing playing um, larger uh, mm-hmm. lar- not phrasing, larger, right. larger phrase yeah I guess phrasing um, mm-hmm. it took I didn't really get it in the beginning I was like what well, I don't I don't get with this I I don't understand this and so the way that I think the way that I could describe it easily to somebody is I think everybody gets caught in that. Boom, doom, ga, doom, 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 ga, doom, da, doom, 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 ga, ding, that you know, like right. just every mm-hmm. either four bars or eight bars, and just looping everything. And what we're saying is that you know you can take even playing a when, if you start playing two bar phrases, mm-hmm. you start to say, oh wow, it, like it just starts to feel wider, and then you're just expanding on that. But how would like how would how would you sort of describe it? How would you how would you uh, position it to someone? If you were like, you need to start phrasing in, in larger forms. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What, uh, how do, I, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Well, I'd say it's like you can look at it as, okay, if someone presents a set of words um, and the words are in, I don't know, a certain order. It's a, it's a page of, of words, and it, there's a there's beginning and there's an ending. Now, the way I look at it is like I say, well, okay, now you've read these words. You don't have to um, read these words or put these words in in that order. Now you can take these words and come up with any any story you can using only these words on the page. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, and, and and it's challenging trying to trying to to try to figure out what you could do with those you know with these with these set of uh, set of parameters. Um, just because, for instance, I had a student come over the other day and he's like, "Well, um, I transcribed this this solo and it was like it was like eight bars." And I'm like, "Okay, great, you got the bar, you got the eight. Bars. All right, so." Now we don't have to start at the first bar. We don't have to start at the top. We can make we can take the third bar, or let's say we can take these eight bars. Let's rewind. Let's say 
let's take the first three bars of the eight bar phrase. Let's play that over and over, get that to a place where that feels very comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And once that feels, once that feels comfortable, we say, okay, what do we have left over? We we have five bars left over. Let's make that, uh, make that its own entity. So what does this five bar phrase feel like? And they say, well, it feels if they don't have any, um, uh, uh, what's the word? They, if they can't base like it rhythmic, off anything, uh, sort of right. Understanding. Yeah, all right. But, yeah, right. Because we're in four. Like the, you know, um, we're in four. I would just um, quickly write, uh, come up with something on on logic. This is just a five bar musical phrase, and I say, okay, let's play this five bars in this uh, in this five bar musical phrase uh, with the music under it. And once they get that, and I say, okay, let's put it together. Now, um, then when when they play it, hopefully they'll say, OK, this sounds like a, a three bar phrase or this sounds like if I was, you know, if the tune was only three bars and this sounds like the tune was only five bars. It should sound it's it's, it's going to sound um, I mean, it'll sound, of course, not even, mm-hmm. but um, it's basically I try to get them to not accept what's right in front of them. Right. If that makes sense, you know, um, because, you know, just because it's, it's four bars or eight bars, that doesn't mean that we have to play it um, like everybody else. We could, you know, um, that doesn't mean that we have to just say, you know, to play two bars, four bars, we could play six bars. We can, we can break it up in any kind of way. Basically I just try to get them to, to start thinking, on their own, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You and, know. and uh, you know, or, one of the ways that I uh, that I found it was easy to do is is changing just even initially just changing my jump off point. So if I'm playing a paradiddle, and mm-hmm. instead of starting it on one, just starting it on the E of one, and then that of course, so then that pushes everything, and then you get to the end, and you're like, okay, I still have there's still some there's still beats left over here that I gotta mm-hmm. that I gotta figure out what to do. You know what I mean? And just hearing different rhythmic possibilities and then i think that once once your mind gets open to that and i i think you would agree and tell me if you think i'm wrong but once your mind opens the uh, your mind opens to that it's sort of like someone lays out a whole like just opens the door for you it's like the matrix yeah, yeah once and your you're mind like oh like my that. god <laughs> really i i mean that's what I, that's how i look at it you know mm-hmm. um i mean I'm at the, what, what I'm really into now is is taking, you know, I've transcribed a lot um, over the years, and now I'm revisiting those transcriptions, and I'm like, okay, Art Blake he played this, he plays something like that, and I'm saying, okay, I see what it is, okay, how can I change this or how can I modernize this and play it in a way that I'm playing the exact same rhythm, the same notes. Mm-hmm. I can change the sticking, but I, I change the surfaces. I change the inflection. I may start uh, that phrase in a different part of the beat, on a different part of the beat. And and man, the, the stuff I come up with, I think sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I play it for some of my students, they have no, no idea where it came from. They say, oh, well, that sounds like a, is that? Eric Harlan, or is that like no man? It's 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 our Blakey. It's all coming from the same place. It's like you know, 
I, it's it's for me. I want them to to go back and and see that they can and uh, grab these ideas from from the masters. You know, right. because a lot of times I, I feel that a lot of my students they come to me and they kind of down they they know the somewhat the importance of you know Max and Art and Elvin and and you know the the, the master drummers, um, but they haven't spent time really, you know, um, transcribing and, and really internalizing the, the, the transcriptions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's because they don't know what to do with the transcriptions, you right. know? So uh, I have them transcribe it and then I'm like, okay, let's really deconstruct this transcription. You know, what can we do with this first phrase? What can we do with the second phrase? Okay. This, the, the transcription, um, is 12 bars long. Let's start with the 12th bar and let's read backwards. You know, mm-hmm. what does it sound that way? You know, so, you know, I have all kinds of, of loops um, on my computer with amazing slowdowner and logic, you know, so I'll play a blues that, you know, that I've sampled from a monk record, you know, so it feels like you're playing with a real, you know, you're playing with a real bass player. And um, I say, okay, let's play this, this, tra- this grand transcription from, from the back you know, reading it backwards. And then if they can't read it backwards, you know, on the fly, which I think if you know the transcription, you should be able to start in any bar and play it, you know, mm-hmm. um, going forward or backwards. If if they can't do that, then I have them rewrite for the next lesson, go home and rewrite the transcription, starting with the last bar first or starting with the third bar first or, you know, mixing all these bars around. Then you start getting into your, your using the same vocabulary, but you're saying something different with mm-hmm. it. And do you look at it as sort of a way of trying to confuse yourself? No, of, I don't look at it as... It, not confuse yourself, but challenge yourself in, in yes, all of these I, different ways. So you're like, you don't, want to get, you don't want to get locked into playing this thing. Like when I look at somebody like Steve Gadd, he can take mm-hmm. one idea and he can play it upside down, inside out, in any feel, backwards, on any, off of any beat, anything, and make it sound like a thousand different figures, and it's all one figure. Right, exactly. And, and I, sort of like my, getting, my, getting a lot of mileage out of the same vocabulary, I guess. Exactly. You know, we're, we're in this, we're in an um, age right now where, you know, it's hard for young people to, to concentrate and stick with one thing. You remember right. back in the day, um, I'm older than you, but you know, we would have a, we would have LPs and I didn't have the money to buy 150, 25, 10 records. Right. I had to, I'm I not, had I'm not as young as you think. I still, I had LPs. <laughs> I had LPs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so I, I buy that record, man. And you know, I mean, we all, Kenny Washington said it, Carl Allen said, we would wear, the record out yeah. playing it over it and over, you mm-hmm. know, if there was a scratch and three minutes and 42 seconds in the record, I like, I, you know, if I listened to it on Spotify, I would be expecting that scratch to be the same place. Cause I've listened to it, right. you know, yep. that many times. So, um, I think there is something to be said with, um, exhausting one idea, you know, you mm-hmm. know, as far as modern, modern day drummers are concerned, you know, Bill Stewart is amazing for that. You know, um, he'll take an idea and he'll whap you in the head 
every way he can with that idea. Okay, I can start it here. I can start it down this part of the beat. I can mm-hmm. put it in three. I can put it in five. I can, you know, when you listen to Bill, he has his vocabulary and he uses his vocabulary um, in any setting that he plays. It still sounds like Bill. Right. You know, but he, he's using these these things. And and I think it's this, it's the same concept. It's really, you know, um, we can take a four bar phrase of, of, of somebody, um, preferably an older cat and, and, uh, man, and, and try to figure out the infinite possibilities of playing that four bar phrase, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, there's, it, there's definitely magic in, like you said, diving into something and, and wearing it out, like wearing out a record or even the CD when, the, you know, like when, when music wasn't so readily available that you could listen to it once and then just get something else and then get something else and then get something else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, That's right. I got this, I bought this $13 CD and I got to listen to that for the next month or two. Like, you know, I learned, <laughs> exactly. how to, I learned how to play drums. I'm sure the same way you did, like just playing along with the record and then starting it over and playing along with it again, starting it over. <laughs> That's, right. With it. <laughs> That's right. We didn't have anything that we could leave it on infinite loop. We would have to get up, you know, if it was one track we like, we had to get up after six or seven minutes and start that track over again. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Or, you or know, rewind the tape play. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was, you know, that, so, I mean, go ahead. No, I didn't. Go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off. No, I was just, I mean, you know, it's, I, I can't uh, express to to younger people and, my, you know, students how important, you know, and how much information is out there. You don't really have to go looking far, you know. A lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, we we turn on YouTube and we see these drummers playing these amazing solos and they're really fast and they have all this stuff together. But then when you slow it down, I mean, we're all, it's the same language. We're playing triplets. We're playing uh, doubles. We're playing singles. It's just, you know, they, they, these guys have sat down and they've taken one idea and, and, and maybe in their opinion, exhausted that idea in, in every way that they could on the drum set. And what we see on YouTube is the, the, the result of them putting that time in mm-hmm. with that one idea, you know, mm-hmm. gospel guys do it all the time because, you know, a lot of the gospel guys aren't. Um, and I mean, I do, uh, I grew up playing in a church, so I know a lot of the drummers that, grew up or that was playing in drums in the church at the time that I was, they didn't read music. So, um, you know, it's not like they could just write this idea down that they, that they, that they learn and, 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 uh, write it in different ways. They would just, they have it memorized and they would just sit on the drum set and, and, and work it out many, as many ways as they could, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting that you brought up about, um, about how people there's there's not the the idea of diving into these things and, and taking a long time and it reminded me of something that you said earlier about practicing of like okay let me take three ideas and work on these for a month and a half and I'm sure that some people were listening and went oh, a month and a half you know like that's a long time yeah. to work on one thing and yeah and I think in my opinion and I would love to get your opinion on it I think that there's so much information out there that people are like, all right, I'm going to work on whatever it is. 
uh, soloing in five. I don't, you know, whatever. And then they said, oh man, well, I got to work on this double kick thing. And so they only work on the soloing in five for two days and then they move on to the double kick thing and they're only there for a day or two and then they move on to the next thing and the next thing and effectively are learning none of it really exactly. they're not mastering it so then they're i and i don't want to i don't want to say this negatively and i want to get your opinion on this but it seems like there's there's it's creating some drummers that are sort of jack of all trades but haven't really mastered specific things yeah i i call them fragmented players you know and right. and you can you know when you when you see them play or whatever it's like you know you can tell when someone has really put the time in you can tell uh, when they when they put the time in and 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 understood a concept mm-hmm. you know um I don't know. You can tell when a doctor has a specific, special, specialized uh, area that he's into, that he's excited about, and that he puts a lot of time in. Um, you know, because of, we know that he can write all these dissertations. He can write. You know, people come to him or her um, for their knowledge. You can tell when when a drummer sits down and really hashes out these three ideas because there's this this there's a, a sense of a strong foundation there, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think, you know, they don't have to, you don't have to say anything. They don't have to tell you that this is what they've done, but you can feel it. When, if you sit down and, you know, when you sit, I don't know, um, we mentioned Bill before, when you, if you watch Bill at the Vanguard, you sit right on that bench next to him on the drums, you know that he's done this. You know, when you mm-hmm. watch when you watch Jeff Watts, when he plays, you know that he's taking these ideas and work them every way that he could work it out. You know, right. Right. Um, and, and and to me, this they they sound complete. You know, I hear I see a lot of drummers on YouTube. Like I said before, they're fragmented drummers. I see that they have. You know, they'll sound amazing doing this, and then I find another video. I'm like, wow, what happened? It didn't sound as amazing as that or you know um you know wow okay this is not as as this thing that he's doing with his with his bass drum it's not as as good as he when he had it at that tempo or whatever mm-hmm. you know if you right. work on something you can play it at every tempo you can play it at every dynamic which i think is very important because mm-hmm. i think a lot of drummers never uh, I, I think a lot of drummers don't practice dynamically right. what's i that, think they what's all practice dynamics what do you mean i'm playing as loud as i can <laughs> i haven't heard that one but that's it that's it man you know i mean so you know you definitely using your dynamics um you can play at any tempo you can if i say it okay well let's let's explode this this little lick that you say okay let's let's start in the middle of the lick let's put these first two beats here and let's put those beats here and let's play it that way you should be able to play that because if you sit there three two months you got to figure out something you know you gotta you gotta figure out some way of doing something if you if you if you're forced to just only play that for two months Mm -hmm. if you can't then something is wrong you know right right and what I, I brought this up not not to sound uh, not to sound condescending or not to mm. or to sound negative in any way. I'm bringing it up to more more to inspire people to actually take the time to master the craft and learn the instrument and and 
you know, not sell yourself short of, of, course. of your skill and your potential and all that. And I, and I think that half the time it, I mean, half the time it's people being just lazy and don't want to, don't want to put the work in. But I think the other half is sort of like people, you know, you maybe you don't know what you don't know and, and you sort of see what everybody else is doing and, and sort of follow along that path too. And you come out the other side, maybe not as, as skilled as you, as you should be, or as you need to be. Well, it's easy to follow people. It's easy to turn on YouTube and say, okay, I'm going to play like this guy. Mm -hmm. It's harder to sit down and try to say, man, now what do I have to offer? What, you know, who am I? How can I, you know, uh, how can I add to this whole drumming thing? You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, you know, in the beginning, it's harder to, just to think. I mean, you know, I've, I've had days where I sit down at the drum set and I don't play a note until something comes to me that, you know, um, before playing, something comes across, you know, in my mind that I'm like, okay, I could try this. Let's try this. You know, I want to sit, sometimes I sit down on the drums and I say, man, I'm not going to play anything until I come up with an idea that I can hear in my head first, but that's different than anything that I've, that I've played or maybe, you know, um, based off an idea that I played, but I'm going to start it completely, you know, in a different direction. Mm -hmm. You know, does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It totally makes sense. This session is brought to you by my good friends over at DW Drums, and you've heard me speak at length about how much I love DW Drums as a company, uh, as a manufacturer. I love their I love their gear. I love the people who are behind the brand as well. And you can learn all about them at DWDrums.com, and I strongly encourage you to not only learn about the company, but if you're in the LA area, go to Oxnard. It's about 45 minutes north of LA, and check out the factory. See how they make the drums. Get to know the people there, and you'll really understand why they're such a great company and why I love them so much and i'm very grateful that they they support this podcast and have been for a very long time so check them out dwdrums.com also evans drumheads want to remind you to let no circle box you in the evans level 360 gives you the most consistent fit for your drums so you can get greater tonal range effortless tuning and the freedom to express yourself any way that you want and you can learn more about evans at evans drumheads.com and let's get back into it with my man clarence penn I hate to go back to practicing, but do you divide your yeah. uh, your practice time and say, okay, I'm going to work on technique, musicality, this or that, or do you just because because I know that that something that I that I saw that you said was that everything that you try to do, you try to make it musical, which I think every mm-hmm. everybody should be doing. Um, so, do you approach your practicing that way too, or do you look at it sort of you learn the technical and then you try to make it musical and apply it to the kit and and it comes out the other side musical. Um, I think when I practice, I'm always thinking of um, of how it's going to apply musically. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, just because because you know, I get I get and I got bored just playing singles for you know, 20 minutes, half an hour or whatever, or double pair diddles over and over. You know, um, mm-hmm. I always, you know, I found more or I got more enjoyment out of, out of trying to figure out where I could do, where could I, where I could put this musically, 
um, than just going over that, you know, the, the drill exercises. Don't get me wrong. The drill exercises and doing that stuff over and over is great. And a lot of guys do that. And I respect the guys that do that. But the type of player that I want to be or the type of player that I hear in my mind isn't that type of that th- I don't hear that sound. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've I've always uh, I've always been in, into all different types of music. So, you know, I've always wanted my playing to feel like um, uh, like a chameleon, like I can fit in any situation. Like, you know, you have some drummers that are amazing. And, and when you put them, you take them out of, uh, of one situation and you put them in another situation, it just sounds like that drummer in another situation. Right. You know, it sounds right. like, you know, because they have their identity. Me, I wanted to feel like, man, who is that? You know. This oh, really? You've always tried to yeah, get away I, yeah, from the. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, that's hard. It's hard to Nick, do. it's, it's, it's really hard. I mean, think about it. I'm Nick. I just played with Enrico Piernunzi. Okay. He's a straight ahead, um, uh, you know, post bebop piano player who was burning. Great. You mm-hmm. know, I hadn't played, I hadn't played jazz for a long time. Right. I mean, jazz, that kind of jazz swing for a week. And it was amazing to play at the Vanguard and play with the uh, killing musicians. But the week before, I was playing with Uri Kane, and man, we didn't play more than 16 bars of time at, at one time in two weeks of, of one-nighters, you know what right. I'm saying? I mean, because he played, you know, the, the trio that he has is more, uh, it's it's avant-garde, you mm-hmm. know? But I, I want to sound like when I'm playing avant-garde that it's like that I belong there and that I fit there and that it didn't sound like, oh, that's Clarence Ben playing avant-garde. He's still playing the same licks that he played over here. Man, right. I work, I try to work on, um, like I say, when I work on my idea, I try to um, to have it non-genre specific. I I can play these things and not have it sound like, oh, he's just a bebop player playing avant-garde music. You know, or mm-hmm. if I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know, if I'm playing gospel, if I'm playing R&B, if I'm playing funk, I just want to, I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to um, uh, like my stamp is me fitting in and it being good without people saying, Oh shit, that's Clarence. You know? Right. No, does that, if it sounds probably sounds weird. I mean, no, 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 no. that totally, that totally makes sense because I agree that, you know, you it's, I, I had a younger student that, that used to try to fit sort of these certain licks into whatever he was playing. You know, and it's like mm-hmm. it does. It just doesn't fit. And I think that I I understand what you're saying in terms of like it just doesn't sound like you doing your spiel in avant garde and then straight ahead and then in funk. It's like oh, there he is with that same fill, right. You know? With that same yeah. With that exactly. You know. I um, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Right. I mean, like I want to feel like when when you know if somebody was doing a blindfold test, I, I'd like them to say, wow that drummer has studied the avant-garde tradition. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, oh, who's that? Oh, is that a gospel cat playing avant-garde? Or is that, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, um, if I'm playing, I don't know, I'm playing with uh, the, the, the the new young cats, you know, I love mm-hmm. Ben Wendell's playing. Uh, Nate, uh, Nate Wood plays with him. Man, I mean, he has a different, different, different style, right? I actually just um, had Nate on the podcast. 
Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, he's amazing, right? Yeah. So, but when I so when I play when I play with Ben, I'm still gonna bring Clarence Penn, but I'm I still I don't want to bring Clarence Penn, uh, the 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 box that maybe someone has put me in. Well, Clarence Penn, oh, he played with Betty Carter, or he played with Stanley Clark. You know that because everybody, I think the mind always wants to put somebody in a box and they say this is that person's style. You know. Mm-hmm. And I never, and I never want to be in that 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 box, you know that 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 I never want to be that type of musician, you know. When I I played with Betty Carter for two and a half years, right? And you know, I don't know if the people know, um, the listeners know, but Betty Carter, bebop, post bebop singer, um, it was a very difficult gig, a lot of straight ahead, um, and if you played with Betty Carter, and she's didn't super have demanding, to, right? Super demanding. Yeah. You, you, you wouldn't have to, if you play with her, you wouldn't have to audition for any other gigs. Because if, if they say, well, um, this guy played with Betty, then the older musicians would be like, okay, well, then I know he's cool. I can give him the gig or let's have him come down. Right. Um, so I went from, when I quit Betty Carter's gig, two days later, I was in Stanley Clark's trio, power trio with double bass drum, uh, every drum that I could find. I had electric drums. I had percussion. You know, it was just three people. And Stanley said, Clarence, I want you to bring it all. And I was like, wow. Okay, so <laughs> I went from from the four-piece bebop kit with Betty Carter with three cymbals to, like, Stanley Clark with, like, 10, 12 cymbals. And, you know, this massive drum set. I, I didn't want to sound like a bebop cat coming to play with Stanley Clark doing right. this thing, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to, to to feel like I belong there and, 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 uh, it's just good. I don't, you know, I don't know if it, it sounds weird, but I just, I really just want what I do to be on a high level and not, and, and the, the stamp being, um, would be that it's just really good. And, and the dynamics and the touch is there, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really big. I'm really big on touch. I think a lot of drummers don't, um, don't spend time, uh, let's say touching the symbol uh, for right. lack of a better word, but just really getting a sound out of the symbols or out of the drums. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of drummers beat the crap out of the drums because they play loud. You know, that's what they right. do, you know, but when was the last time you sat down in the practice room and you said, okay, um, you know, for tests, I'll, I'll set my iPhone up. I'll set it on record, but I don't, I won't record. I'll just look at the meter and everything that I play for the next week or two i don't want it to go over this this certain part on the meter Mm. that's hard yeah but after after trust me but after a week or two weeks you start to figure you'll start to find stuff you start to understand stuff about the way you play you start to understand the way your hands move because you want to still have fun you know and you still want to you know you want to practice you you still want to want to learn stuff so trying to keep that dynamic at a certain thing yeah. after a while you're like man okay and then you know and then you 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 start to then you bring that that aspect to your playing mm-hmm. so when you're soloing or you know you can play part of your solo at this dynamic part of your solo at that dynamic or mix the two or whatever you know most of the times when you hear drummer solo it's like forte right, right. it's like it's just full on you know i yeah. mean not all the drummers but you know they're they're you know the a lot of drummers do that, but you know, of course, they're always the exceptions. And like you said, adding that 
having that control over your dynamics just totally adds another element to your playing. And it just gives you, it's just another thing in your bag that you can use to really manipulate your sound and express what you want to say and, and do it with control. I think it's a scary element. I think if you have that, then that's, I mean, it's scary meaning like if, if you do that and you do that well, other drummers will be like, shit, okay, wow, all right. <laughs> He's not messing around. You know, everybody can play loud, but then if you, 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 you know, you play all this, all that, that stuff that you can play, that triple forte or whatever, you bring it down to mezzo piano and you're like, oh, you yeah. know, and, and, it, and it, especially if it's burning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cats get scared. Cats be like, okay, all right. <laughs> you know, they'll be in the back of the club just looking and, and, and not saying anything. <laughs> right. Right. Because they're like, okay. Or they'll be, they'll be making, taking notes and like, okay, I got to go home and shit. <laughs> you know it's yeah <laughs> so drums do you, man <laughs> do you think that there are, do you think that there are different uh different sort of kinds of drummers and that people should somehow learn sort of what style or what kind of drummer they are and what i mean by this is not necessarily styles but i i know by myself I'm physically, I'm a small guy. I'm five, seven on a good day. Mm -hmm. if the humidity's right. <laughs> and, right. And I'm not like, I'm not this huge, powerful guy. That's going to be like blazing around. Like I'm never going to play like Brian blade. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Just like from a, from a, from a power perspective and, and a speed perspective, I just don't see myself being that. So do you, I, you know, I look at it like there's sprinters that, you know, there's long distance runners. There's, mm -hmm. Offensive linemen, there's running backs, there's, you know, there's, there's different people who are physically built differently than everybody else. Do you, do you think that way with drummers too? Um, I mean, of course, I think the physical aspect does play a part of, you know, um, of, of it, you know, especially from, I mean, when they're big guys, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, you listen to these big, massive, like, you know, Michael Bland, you know, those, those cats, when they have a, you know, the big cats, when they play a pocket, it's like, okay, I'm never going to have that kind of pocket <laughs> because there is, there's something behind, behind that pocket. Um, but um, I do, I do believe um, that everyone has something that they do you know, they have a style or they have a sound, they have um, a way that ultimately that they're going to, they're going to play the drums. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and of course, yeah, I think, you know, we, we have to just figure out what that is and, and, and do that at the highest level that we can do, you right. know? Um, right. But the thing is, I think, you know, the cool thing is, is that if everyone's thinking a certain way and trying to be, better and not just copying everybody then that would make that's that's what's going to keep it or make it more interesting mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um um but yeah i mean i'm not a i'm not a big cat either um and i i guess I, by me starting out in classical music i was always into the beauty of the drum set as opposed to the the massive just the uh, power behind the drums. Um, even when I was with Stanley Clark, I was still trying to get a, a beautiful sound out of the drums, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
I always felt like uh, after hearing how Tony Williams practiced this ride symbol, you know, every single day um, that there's, there's gotta be a way that I can hit the symbol and, 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 and uh, bring out different colors of the symbol. Blade does that, you know, Mm -hmm. he just, he, he, when Blade hits a symbol, he's not just, it looks like he's whacking the piss out of the symbol, but he's really, he's stroking the symbol. He's shaving the symbol. He's, he understands that there's a relation the way he, his arm is moving and the stick is hitting the symbol. He spent time um, and a lot of thought uh, about the way he hits the symbol. Right. Um, you watch certain drummers um, and, and when I, I watch them hit the symbol and I can tell immediately the way they hit the symbol that they've never thought about the symbol. They mm. think the symbols are just the period uh, on the sentence and it's just like, I don't care what, how I put the period. It's just, this is what I'm supposed to do after I play all this incredible stuff on the drums. Right. You know? Um, right. So, um, I mean, me, yeah, I guess um, I wouldn't think with my statue that I would be the loudest drummer. But I mean, there are some some guys that are our size, Nick, and they play really loud. You right. know, so they have that. They do have a lot of strength and they do have a lot of speed. Um, you know, but I do. I mean, I, I guess naturally, I think everybody has would tend to have a. a, a a place where they're, they're playing settles or the mm-hmm. way their style that where, where they settle, you know, and, yeah. it, and it's their, their personality, you know? And, you know, I, I actually, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I struggled with that for a while because my pot, like my pocket has always been good. It just sort of mm-hmm. naturally had not, I'm not saying like I have this, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, it's a work in progress, but no, yeah, of course, but it's always been there, you know? And that mm-hmm. was something that I've always had naturally. The one thing that I've always struggled with is like, you know, blazing chops and, and all of that stuff. And I, for years, man, I practiced it and it just never really came to me. And I sort of had to come to the realization that like, all right, you're a groove player. You're, you know, you're not going to be this guy that's like just blazing all over the kit. And then I started to think about, it. I was like, I don't really want to do that anyway. So why am I trying to do this? But all these other guys could do it. So why can't I do it? And I just sort of came to the realization that, you know what, let me be true to who I am. I'm a groove guy. I'm a feel guy. I'm a, yeah. You know, and just be Nick. Right. Right. Just be Nick. I mean, look, Ricky Lawson, who I think, uh, you know, I'm from Detroit. Right. I don't know if they, they know who Ricky Lawson was, but Ricky had well, they should. <laughs> all of the top, you know, Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie. I mean, I know Ricky was making obscene amounts of money. Right. Uh, and not to say that that's in the most important thing, but it is important to be able to take care of your family mm-hmm. and have a certain, uh, um, you know, certain lifestyle that that's comfortable for you. Right. And, and Ricky was not Mr. Chop flying around the drum set or whatever. But his phone rang all the time because he 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 figured at one point, man, I'm a I'm a pocket guy. This is what I do, and this is what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna do it you know? really I'm well. Gonna, yeah, and I'm gonna do it really well. I mean, I saw Ricky play in 1985 with the Yellow Jackets. He was still with the Yellow Jackets then. This is before he he said, "I'm gonna make the the uh, the jump over to the pop world." Mm-hmm. And you know, he had he had some chops. He was playing some stuff. I was like, right. whoa. 
and and but then when he got to the pop world, there was no room for for that, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 he he understood what what the music needed, and and because he did that, man, he worked all the time. I mean, you know, I don't know if there was ever a day that he didn't have a, a, a amazing tour yeah. or a gig, you know. So um, you know, you don't necessarily. Uh, you know, have to feel bad when once you understand what type of player you are. When you do understand the type of player you are, then you work on that. You know, right. work right. on work on that. You know, but just don't be that type of player um, because you're settling just because you're too lazy to. Uh, you know, oh, I don't want to work on chops because uh, it's boring or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, there's there's certain there's work that we have to do just that just goes along with being in the brotherhood of. Of drummers, right? Or, you know, any musician, but we're talking about drummers. You know, so we we do work on our our paradiddles, work on our, all our rudiments and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, the thing that makes that where you feel at home, if it's playing pocket, then that's great, right? You know, but I mean, I do have have to say, um, certain guys, um, you know, they may feel at home just playing Apollo chops all the time. I don't, I don't think it works that way, you know, because <laughs> if you're just playing Paula Chops all the time and not groove and not making it feel good, then, you know, that's not really going to uh, fly too well. Because at the end of the day, I think my concept, and I think yours too, um, is the drums is an instrument that hopefully that makes people feel good. It makes right. the people in the band feel good. It makes the people in the audience want to get up and dance. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, it's and, and if we're soloing it all the time, that's not going to make people want to get up and dance, or it's not going to want to make the saxophone player uh, play uh, ten or twelve courses. I want when I sit down on the drums, I want to have my cymbal beat in the field that's that I'm that I'm giving the band. I want it to be so good and infectious that that the saxophone player just can't take the horn out of his mouth. He's like, man, this, I don't want to stop playing. That's the ultimate compliment for me, right. as opposed to like, you know, he plays his two chords and he's like, man, you played the shit out of that drum solo, man. I'm like, okay, thank you. That's okay. I've worked on solo. But right. how did it feel when you were soloing or when mm-hmm. the piano was soloing or when, you know, when me and the bass player was just playing time? You know, you, you know like when you listen to a Monk record, Mm-hmm. When you listen to uh, Ben Riley and Charles Gill's play "Time," you know it's the bass solo, and he's just walking, and Ben's just swinging along with him. Man, that just feels amazing, and that's what you want. I, I mean, that's what I want. I want my time to feel like. I want people to be like, "Man, let me get some of that." I mean, know, that's that's the ultimate to, compliment, right? You is know? it? I think so. I mean, that's the reason why I played that I chose to play drums. You know, I told a student yesterday, he was just like, oh, man, what made you um, want to play jazz? And it's funny. I said, to be honest, what made me want to play jazz was listening to Philly Joe Jones play Milestones. And if you listen to Milestones, the track, Philly Joe is not soloing. He didn't solo at all. It's just the way he is playing the, the ride cymbal and playing those rim shots. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, that's it. That, that's what I want to do. Right. He's making, I mean, he's making it pop. He's not doing, he's not overplaying. He's not, man, he's just in the pocket. And that for me, it was it. I was like, man, 
that's that's what I want to do. And not that he you couldn't know. overplay if he wanted. If no, know. no, of course <laughs> he had to. He had to. Everybody know he had the tops. But man, he's just really. You know, I mean, knowing I don't know having the 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 maturity to know when to play and when not to play as far as the uh, overplaying or playing, you know, busy, busily or, you know, soloing. It's, um, that's, it's something to be said about that too. You know, right. A lot of guys try to play, you know, you mentioned blade. A lot of guys try to play like blade and they think, Oh, okay. I'm going to drop bombs every eight bars or all the time because that's what blade does. I mean, you have to listen to what's going on in the band. Blades always re- reacting um, from something that Wayne is doing or right. something that Danilo is doing or something that, that Petitucci is doing, or he may be instigating something. You know, these bombs, they all, they're connected. It's related to the music. And a lot of times I feel that um, the younger drummers, they, they don't have a relation. They're just like, they're in their heads. And if you're in your head, you can't have your heart in the music because you're thinking. You know, mm-hmm. you're not letting the music be internal. You, you know, you're not internalizing the music. You're not being in the moment. You're being in your head. So you're in your head. You're thinking about, okay, I should do this this thing right here, or I can play these fives, or I can play loud. You know, that the music will I, tell that you. That I learned. Yeah, exactly. That lick that I've been practicing eight hours a day over in my studio. You know, it's like, you know, you have to let the music help guide you or tell you when and what to play. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I look at it, you know. Yeah. You know, there's there's instances where we can force our will on the music, and then sometimes it's cool. A lot of times it's not cool, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I just yeah, you know, I just want to I just want to serve the music. You know, I yeah. think that's what Blade wants to do. He wants to serve the music. That's what Greg Hutchison wants to do. He wants to serve the music. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the school that we come from. And I'm talking about jazz, you know, and fusion and, you know, other forms of music. You know, the drums have a different role, you right. know. But, you know, but I do think at the end of the day, that role, even in the, 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 the most um, advanced heavy metal band, the drummer spends a lot of time trying to make the band feel good before he goes into all that solo stuff. Right. Right. I, you know, I was thinking about when you said about a, about reacting to what's going on, I equate it to, you know, you saying, Hey Nick, uh, I went to this restaurant and I had this, I had this great meal and I'm like, my shoes are dirty. And you're like, and then we had this (laughs) wine and I'm like, my shoes are dirty. My shoes are dirty. And you're like, what do you, you're not even, you're not even saying you're not, you're, you're not even talking or you're, we're not even having the same conversation. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. I, I look at it like that. Completely disconnected. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. You know, you have to, you know, uh, playing music is about what you and I are doing now and what you do with your podcast all the time. It's about conversation. Mm-hmm. There has to be, you know, that, that back and forth, you know, Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, if sometimes you'll come across somebody who's not much of a talker. Then you're like, OK, well, you know, I'll initiate the, the conversation. Right. You know, and I do that on the drum. Sometimes I'll play with somebody and he may not or she may not have as much fire. Well, let me try to ignite some stuff, you know, not beat them across the head with it. But like, you right. know, um, let me just turn up the, the, the burner a little bit under them and see what happens. Right. right. You know. And I think my listeners so, will agree that sometimes I maybe I do that too much. <laughs> do what? Well, sometimes I'm like, you know, people are talking. I'm like, ah, I want to let me talk. 
you know and i think that that happens on stage too you know i i'm well, sure i play yeah. like that every once in a while well you get excited but yeah. i mean you know but like i said like we said before you know playing music man you know you got to have a lot of things going on at the you know at the same time you have to you know know how to uh um police yourself you have to know okay i can't get too excited normally i would get too excited right when i get excited then i want to play a lot behind this or like oh shoot that was nice that he played and then you overplay or your time gets weird or whatever you know it, it you know it's like you know i just i would spend time coaching myself before the gig say okay clarence you're gonna go out here you're gonna have fun and if this happens you take a deep breath and you don't always have to follow it. You don't always have to go there. You can always have, you can, you can be contrast to what's going on, you know, just, mm-hmm. just make it feel good and, and try to stay on, on, on point. You know, Betty Carter used to always say that. She said, stay on task, baby thou, stay on task, <laughs> you know? And, 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 um, yeah, I mean, that meant that, uh, you know, the music gets excited, uh, it gets exciting and then you get excited. And a lot of times, you know, yeah, the beat, could just drop off or you shave a beat off or the time could push ahead or whatever. Um, you know, and of course in certain instances that is fun, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, you know, you have to keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it down. You know, right. I, I listened to a podcast you had with Justin, um, Falkner, not yeah. too long ago when I was in Europe. Um, you know, I played with Branford too. We did a record with Makoto Ozone and, uh, you know, I remember Branford saying to me one time, he was just like, man, all that stuff is bad. That's killing that you plan, but you have to be careful not to rush or like, you know, lose the time when you go, when you go into that, that moment of, of, you know, you're trying to, to create the, the, the excitement, you right. know, right. and a lot of times. Can't get too we, frenzied. Yeah. You know, because we stop thinking, we kind of just like, you know, it's like, uh, our bodies are being taken over by this this spirit. It's like, oh, 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 you know, yep. and uh, and you lose it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I yeah, I try. I, I even you know years ago, I used to try to in my practice routine, you know, set up a situation and and just trying to imagine this saxophone player getting excited and what is it? What do I do to 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 go along with that? but then not uh, rush the beat, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like practicing and, and, and playing the drums, it's like I'm always trying to create these scenarios or these puzzles or these situations where it makes me think. Therefore, right. I think um, that we each, I think each of us have the tools to teach ourselves. A lot of people don't like to hear that because they're like, oh, well, you know, you got to go to school to, to learn or you got to go to teacher. You, you know, teaching yourself is just just thinking, just sitting down and trying to figure out, you know, what you need to do to get to point A, B and C. Right. You know, if you have, OK, technique, you know, technical, technically you can have some issues and you want to check in with a teacher and make sure that you're. Your, you know, that your technique is okay. And once that happens, man, you sit down in, in the room or, you know, um, you sit on your computer and come up with exercises, man. I mean, me buying Finale 
years ago was one of the best things that I could have done because once I put some manuscript, you know, some ideas in finale, I'm like, whoa, man, that looks professional. I look, uh, I look like a teacher. You know? I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, yeah, I know what I'm doing exactly. And you know, I, shoot, man. So I, I started any idea that I come up with or I came up with, I would put it in finale. I got all my stuff in finale. And, you know, I can always go back to it and, uh, you know, and it's re- it's readable, right. <laughs> you know, right. um, you know, so I don't know. That's that's it, man. Well, let's talk about uh, what you have going on now. And we'll, we'll we'll talk about teaching in a minute. But let's. So what, what do you have uh, in the works? I know we talked earlier off off air that you have uh, a bunch of touring coming up. You're getting ready to go to Temple, uh, but then mm-hmm. you're going uh, but then you're going overseas for a little while, too. Yep. Yeah. So. um Man, I'm so jet lagged because I, right before this last, I was in the two weeks I was in Europe with Uri Kane, but um, five days before that, I went to Japan to play with Bob James and foreplay and came back home for 12 hours and then had to go to Europe and then came back home a day, went right into the Vanguard and finished the Vanguard on Sunday had to do chick or treating with my kids yesterday, um, and doing that's, this thing with you today. That's the important gig, right there. <laughs> that's it. That was the important gig. Um, and then, so tomorrow, I um, I have this this my la- my latest record is called Monk the Lost Files. So it's a it's kind of a I don't know I don't want to say a tribute to Monk, but for lack of a better uh, descriptive title, it's a tribute to Monk. But I've really took the music of Monk and I, I flipped it on its its head. I changed the 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 rhythm aspect. It's really it's a, it's a hard project, but it's very musical at the same time, and it still keeps the integrity of uh, Thelonious Monk's music. So I'm going to be presenting a masterclass tomorrow um, at 4:30, um, and then uh, we have a concert, and where we'll be playing the music of Monk, um, and then I come home and go right to Sarajevo and Vienna with a guy named John Zorn and uh, Uri Kane. So we have a couple of concerts over there. Then I come home for 10 days. Then I go back over to Europe with uh, Dave Douglas's, uh, he did a project with a guy named Frank Frost, who's from, um, from Paris. Um, and they did this French American grant. I don't know if you know about that, but there's this uh, there, there's this grant that you can apply for, and as long as one of the leaders is from France or lives in France, and one of the leaders is American, then they get money from the French government to record and do some touring. And uh, nice. so, so we did a we did a record about a year ago with uh, Matt Brewer and. Uh, and it just came out. It's called Dada People. I think it's uh, no, not I think, but it's a project based on the 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 work of Man Ray, the uh, the artist Man Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that, and um, from that tour, I go right to uh, a tour with a guy named Ibrahim Malouf, who's probably the hottest. Jazz. He, uh, he's not really a jazz trumpeter, but let's say jazz trumpeter in France. Now we've I've been that was like a pop gig. I've been on that tour 
for the last uh, year and a half, and we've played everywhere there is to play in Europe. This guy is so huge. Um, he's a great player. Um, and in that band, it's Mark Turner, Scott Colley, and myself. Um, and along with the, that piano player, Frank Frost. Right. Um, so we go do that. And then I, <laughs> it sounds like I'm working a lot, but you I'd, know, I'd say this you are. <laughs> and then from his tour, I go um, tour with um, this guy uh, from Vienna, a guitarist. Um, and we do, what are we going to do? I think we do a week and then I'll be home. And that's December 8th. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. And all of those gigs are very different. You know, um, it's not like I go in with a template of how I'm going to play. You know, I go in and, and, and each gig requires something different for me. Right. And, and I, I like that, um, that aspect and it keeps me, it keeps me fresh, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it keeps me, uh, from not going to that, that, that bag of tricks that we all have, you know? Right. Yeah. It you keeps, know, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it keeps me on my toes, and you know, and I, I mean, I love that. You know, I think, you know, and that's why, you know, I've been, I've been playing, I guess, for a very long time, um, but that's what keeps it, that keeps me in it. It keeps me wanting to do it, and 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 it keeps me um, from being jaded or getting jaded with 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 the music. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm I'm always I've always been. Um, and uh, uh, someone to go and, and research and, and, you know, explore. So, you know, there's a lot of great music out there, a lot of great drummers out there. I'm always, you know, on whatever media trying to see what, what people are talking about, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm not being a dad. Of course, I, I right. do most of this stuff when I'm on the road. Um, but, you know, um, you know I'm, just, I'm always looking for inspiration. And, uh, you know, and I, and I try to, um, get it from every source, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, we mentioned Nate Wood, we mentioned Greg, we mentioned all these drummers, you know, what I, what I do is in, and what I did was, you know, I try to have my students and myself, I look at these drummers, I say, okay, what is it? If I could pick one aspect about Brian Blade, what is it that I like? And then I would write that down and I say, okay, what is it about Greg that I like? Okay, what is it about Tane that I like? What, you know, and the list will go on. Then I would have a list of like, say, 10 things that I get from each of these drummers. And then I say, okay, well, let me practice that aspect. These three drummers, let me try to make up some concepts or uh, some exercises to help me get to what I think they had to do to to be able to do what they're doing. So reverse engineering what? Yeah, what you're hearing or what you're seeing or right. Right, exactly. And teaching yourself because a lot of times I, I feel that when you teach yourself, then you retain that information. Oh, you learn when so you, much better. When you, yeah, you learn so much better. Yeah. And, you know, as opposed to, okay, I learned this lick off of YouTube. I learned this lick, you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it it's just the it's just something. It's just this this thing, you know, but if that thing to me is not 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 living. But when you give birth to an idea, that that idea is in your DNA, mm-hmm. and it's easier, much easier, to to apply that to uh, a musical situation. In right. my opinion, 
when I learned, know. when I started learning, <clears throat> when I started playing drums, I learned like every, <clears throat> excuse me, every Dave Matthews song and Carter. You know, I went to school with, the, you know, I went to school with them. Oh, did Look, you? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> it's funny. Look. Oh, so, oh Virginia. Right? Okay, go ahead. I was in Virginia. Exactly. Uh-huh. I was in, v, I was in VCU in Virginia, in Richmond, Virginia. And Leroy, the saxophone player, mm-hmm. he passed, but mm-hmm. Leroy was in my band. I was writing my jazz tunes at school and Leroy was, just, you know, we were friends. He was just the, my saxophone player. So he would come really? and, and, and try to read through my tunes and he would all be like, man, that's hard, man. Clearance, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, you know, because I was in my my Wynton Bradford stage. Sure. Um, Carter was playing with a band called Secrets. We oh, yeah, that fusion band. Play. Yeah, we used to yeah. always go see them play on Sunday. And um, I used to play with a guy named John Dirth also, who was a trumpet player who played with um, uh, Bruce Hornsby. So, you mm-hmm. know, he's one of the, the, the big cats down in Virginia also. Yeah, yeah. So we would do this gig in Charlottesville at UVA. Uh, not at UVA, but in Charlottesville, that's where UVA is. And, man, I always played at this place. Dave was the bartender. And... Um, and, then, you know, we'd come up and they'd be like, hey, man, I'm like, hey, Dave. It's like, yeah, you know, I write. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Can I get a beer? Can I get, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and years later, Carter calls me and, and he's like, man, I'm in town. I'm like, what? What are you doing in town? He's like, man, remember Dave, the bartender? I'm like, yeah, Dave. He's like, yeah, well, we got this band. We've been, you know, we've been kind of playing. And I was like, really? He's like, oh, man, you should come out. I go out. They were playing in New York, and I got there late because I was just like, oh, okay, it's Carter playing with right. Dave, the bartender. Um, I get there late, completely sold out. I'm on the guest list, but it's completely packed, and, and the, the security escorts me to the stage, to the side of the stage, and I'm there, and I look over, and Carter sees me, and I'm looking at him, and I stroke my shoulders. I'm like, what the, what is this? What, yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, I know, I told, it's crazy, right? And I was just like, what? I mean, how did I miss this? You guys are huge. And from that point, they <clears throat> haven't looked back, man. Yeah. They have not looked back. So, yeah. you know. That's a that's <laughs> an amazing story, though. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're saying, um, um, what were we talking about? So, well, I was saying, well, first of all, if you talk to Carter, tell him that I basically, he basically taught me how to play drums. And <clears throat> I would love to have him on the podcast. Oh uh, man, he'd be into it. I'll send him a note. Yeah, I, I man, that would. <clears throat> that I'll send I would, him a note. I would love that. Uh, yeah, he's definitely one of my he's biggest very, influences. Very cool. Very cool. He's yeah. always, you know, the thing. Yeah, I'm very, very, very happy for for Carter because Carter is always played the way he plays. You know, right. and. Uh, you know, it's it's Carter. That's his style. You know, of course, he was influ- He has his influences. He loved Dennis. He loved Manu Kache. And a lot of the drummers, the rock drummers, don't know that. You know, that's why Carter uses all the splash cymbals, right? Um, the singles, Dennis. You know that mm-hmm. that thing. Um, but uh, you know, he's always stuck to his guns. And and Dave built that band around Carter's drumming. Yes, yeah. and I would always say know? if you took him out of the band, it wouldn't be the same band. You know. No, it wouldn't be the same thing. And no. Dave knows that. And so what we were talking about before about birthing ideas, I'd learned every day Matthew song, like note for note, could play every tune. But mm-hmm. it's one thing to be able to play it. It's another thing to have created those parts like like Carter did. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. and, exactly. And people were like, oh, man, 
you must be really good because you can play all that stuff. I'm like, I didn't invent it though. Mm-hmm. I'm just, yeah, I'm copying, I'm, I'm exactly. copying what he's playing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, no, but birthing true. the idea is, you know, is something that is, uh, that is definitely a lot harder and, and a lot better in the long run. So I think so. I mean, Nick, I mean, I would say that, you know, you would, you would, you would agree with me. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to sit down on the drums and 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 not play anything to you come up with something original, <laughs> you know, yeah. or try to come up with something original, right? You know, um, but man, it's it, it's it's really it's a beautiful thing when you can come up with something you like. I mean, of course, there's nothing new under the sun, but when you can come down, when you sit on a drum set and you're like, you know what, I think I made this up, right? And it actually works if it sounds like a lick or it sounds like a pattern it sounds like something you know and i came up with this man it's yours you own you own it you know yeah you own it and it's it's a part of you nobody can take it from you nobody can recreate that um the way you do it it's your it's like a it's like a fingerprint it's your personal stamp you know so i mean that's why I I, i i tell my cats i tell everybody man just go and spend time on the instrument without trying to copy somebody else's lick or somebody else's, this, you know, what, you know, try to see what you have mm-hmm. um, in your arsenal. You know, what do you have to say? Yep. You know, it's something's totally. there. It may not, it may not come the first day. It may not come the second day or the first week, but you know, you keep trying eventually something original is going to happen. Right. You never know, man. I mean, you may come up with something. Look, when Steve get, um, did that uh, when you did the podcast with him and he uh-huh. was talking about um, 50 ways. Right. And he was just working on the, uh, doing the roles mm-hmm. and playing, uh, incorporating the left, uh, the hi hat. Right. And, and he didn't know that was, that's, that's the song. <laughs> you know? That's, that's it. That's I mean, the song. Like, and right? coincidentally, like, uh, um, Carter in one of the Dave Matthews tunes was like, there's this song called 50 ways to leave your lover that I mimic this exactly. thing. So it's like, it all, yeah. not only does it, is you create this thing, but then it like carries on under, you know, someone else paying homage to you. And then it becomes another thing. And then it becomes, then another it becomes thing. another thing. Exactly. Yep. It becomes another thing. And, and Carter didn't, yeah, he didn't, he didn't try to play it exactly. Mm-hmm. He was just like, man, I love that flavor. Let me see what I can do with it. And then right. I know he, he put some, he spent some time with it, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a great thing, you know, about just studying, man, when you can go, you know, have your students or you do the research and be like, you know what? Wow. Carter's playing this thing that Steve played and Steve probably got it from them or so, you know, just to see how it links up, man. It's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's a beautiful thing, man. I'm with you, man. So what are, (laughs) so when you're not on the road, because it seems like you're on the road a lot, um, do you teach privately? Yeah, I teach privately every now and again. Um, I don't teach, um, you know, um, I don't have a schedule because I am gone a lot, mm-hmm. but, um, I'd say, uh, I have, I probably, if I'm home, I'll teach probably three or four times, uh, in a month. I got, you it. know, I got, yeah. It. Um, I do in, in the beginning, I didn't necessarily enjoy teaching, but when, um, when I was playing with Dave Douglas, he was the art 
director in uh, Banff, Canada. You know, they have a jazz mm -hmm. uh, camp up there. And um, he had me come and be a teacher, you know. And, um, of course, I didn't want to be a teacher, and, and I was not interested in doing that. But then when I got up there, I realized that there was a need for the students to have the correct uh, information. Right. Uh, and, and, and I, I realized that the students needed to be, uh, inspired to think on their own, you know, because mm -hmm. a lot of teachers, a lot of students just didn't do that because, you know, I think this school, this, this school system is set up that ways that, um, you know, they don't want you to necessarily think on your own, on their own, because, then you would need the school. They, the school, you know, it works together. You need the school, you need a teacher to say, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. But um, um, when I was up at Banff, um, I, I would come up with these exercises and, and, and I really got into teaching. And then a lot of people would tell me that they thought that I was a really good teacher. Um, and then that just spilled over to, you know, uh, that same, I would apply that same concept to teaching here in New York and, and people would come and students, they take a lesson and they're like, man, I've, I really feel inspired. And, and they come back and take other lessons or whatever, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm the kind of teacher that, um, I just, I just puts a little water on it. I put water on the, on the, on the, on the seat and, and, and we keep, working it until it starts to germinate until it mm -hmm. starts to grow and then once it starts to grow then you know you can go on your own but mm -hmm. you know it's just trying to get people to start thinking um on their own um so you know i definitely enjoy teaching now and i'm very i'm very um i shouldn't say this on air but i'm very generous with my time you know like uh whatever i have my my fee and i'm like yeah it's an hour but Rarely. I, I don't think there's ever been anybody over my house for an hour for, an for hour. a lesson. Right, right. Yeah. My wife my wife was like, Man, that was a two hour lesson or that was an hour and a half. You can't do that, you know. Well, you get it's into it. Like, and... No, because I care. I right. I really care that what I'm talking about the student grasp. If right. we, whatever concept or whatever we're working on, I really I, it's important that, that they that they know this. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, you know, I so I I, I was going to say, I've been vocal about not enjoying teaching either. And, mm -hmm. but I, I care as well. And that's why I started the podcast because I wanted to get, I love sharing knowledge, but I don't necessarily like sitting one-on-one -on -one teaching. And someone actually commented on when I released the Nate Wood uh, podcast, because I mentioned it in that too. And they said that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a great teacher, which I appreciate them saying that. Um, mm -hmm. But, and he said, you know, there's many ways to teach. So it doesn't necessarily have to be sitting in, in the classroom or one-on-one -on -one or something like that. If you enjoy that, that's great. But for anyone who does it, who anyone, anyone who's like me, who doesn't enjoy it, but th there's other ways to teach. And I guess this is my version of, of giving back that's to right. the drum community because I do care. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is my way of doing it, I guess. No, the, you, I mean, you, it's funny that you said it that way because it, hits, it, it comes full circle for how we started with this, the, the thing. I mean, uh, there's, there's no set way of teaching, you know. It, I, it's the same way with my, my, my kids. My, my kid went to um, a certain school in my neighborhood, and she was doing okay. 
um, teacher was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should think about keeping her back. And I'm like, what? Whatever. We, we sent her to another school. We hadn't changed anything. My daughter is at the top of the class. It's just the That's way amazing. the teachers were teaching. Right. It's just, a, you know, so there's no set way of teaching, you know, mm-hmm. just because, you know, um, yeah, you're a teacher. Okay. That doesn't mean that, you know, Nick, you have to sit down. You're like, okay, this is right, left, right, right, left. You know, and we're going to drill these exercises or whatever. It's teaching is just the way I look at it, giving someone the tools to start to think on them, uh, think on their own. Right. I you know, and you, you know, you put the, you put the ideas out there and and you let them, you let them go, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, when I, when I studied uh, with Alan Dawson, who I think was the greatest teacher, one of our greatest teachers, um, yeah. a lot of times Alan would be sitting there telling me about Clarence, you know, um, are you saving for your taxes? You got to do that. I was just like, you know, people were like, what? I mean, we talk about drums, but Alan would talk to, to talk to me about life. I mean, he cared about me. I don't know what made him want to do that. But, you know, he was like, man, Clarence, you need to always show up. Um, if you're not at the gig a half an hour then before the gig, then you're late, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was 18. I was just like, I hadn't been thinking that way. So, you know, he had... Of course, the technical and, and, and the, the stuff that he did, but you know, he taught me in in in, in life ways also. Right. You know. Sure. And and that's a, what, it's that's important. What, I think it is. I yeah. think it is. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. You know. It. You know. Everybody doesn't learn the same way, and everyone's not going to get the same thing from 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 a, a certain teacher. So right. you know. Right. You know. You just got to continue on that journey until you to you to uh, you find that person on and and it's important that you never stop you know that journey you you never stop trying to learn mm-hmm. you know you know so and there it is <laughs> <laughs> so if people Man, if people want to uh learn more about you follow you see what you're see what you're up to what's the best place to sort of keep keep uh tabs on you the best place you know i wish i could say that i was as media savvy as you <laughs> i do have a website clarence com, and i do try to keep it updated <laughs> um but i do i tend to put um my schedule on facebook okay and i do have a, a twitter page also um and those are the three i guess best ways to to, to find me. Okay. You know? And I'll, what I'll do is the audience says, I always, uh, there's show notes for every podcast. So I'll, uh, I'll link to mm-hmm. all that stuff. I'll link to the records that we talked about notes that we talked about. And then also, uh, your website and, and social media channels and, and all that stuff. So. Right. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I, um, a student of mine uh, yesterday told me, uh, that if I could, I have three books that I love well, four books that I love working out of, and I just want to quickly share those yes. uh, with you, or you can put them in the, in the, in the, in the show notes. Um, the first one is the, the Portraits and Rhythm by uh, Anthony Cerrone. Yep. These are all, yeah, these are classical books. And the 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 second one, um, I think it may be out of print, but um, but I think you can still find it on Amazon. It's called Intermediate Snare Study Snare Drum Studies by Michelle Peters. I don't know if you know that one. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's really great. And the um, I use um, the De La Cruz method of, uh, of snare drum. It's a French um, French author. His last name is D E L E C L U S E. And and what I you know I I play them on snare, but what's more interesting? Um, oh, of course, in in syncopation. But what I do is uh, I take each, let's say, bar or or phrase, and I orchestrate that on drum set, you know, and it forces myself to take these rhythms and and, and come up with a, a musical way of, of playing these rhythms, not that they're just stagnant snare exercises. Right, right, so, right. So, you know, it gets, it gets, it's hard. It gets you thinking, though, you well, know? I'm actually, I'm looking at the book now, so. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think um, I'm going to have to uh, pick this up. Yeah, it, I mean, it's really. I mean, the in, the possibilities are are endless. I mean, I love that you know the van, immediate snare drum snare drum studies. Michelle Peters, you know, um, I came up with the idea a few years ago when I was teaching at Interlochen Arts Academy. Um, you know, they were playing it. They were rattling these these exercises off on the on the snare drum. And I was like, wow. Well, what if we we say every every group of sixteenth um, um, notes. So if you have four sixteenth notes, the first um, beat, the first sixteenth note is always on a snare. The second two sixteenth notes is always bass drum, and the last sixteenth note is with the floor tom. So every time you see four sixteenth notes in a row, that's where you're going to play it. And so you have, if you have an eighth note followed by two sixteenth notes, that's always going to be played a certain way. Hypothetically, like. The, if it's an eighth note and two sixteenth notes, that eighth note will always be played with the left hand, left hand on the hi hat with the mm-hmm. bass drum, and then those following two sixteenth notes um, will gonna be played on the floor tom. So you got um, that one anda, so the anda will be played on the floor tom, and then the the one or whatever that eighth note is, will be played on the hi hat. So that's your combination for that. So basically, you have four combinations of 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 um for every rhythm if, when you're dealing Jeez. with eighth notes and sixteenths but then and then you play that on on the drum set but you know in the beginning okay we'll say that that's it's difficult or it's hard but you take each bar each take each bar as a cell and you work on that cell you mm-hmm. make that musical you understand what that is you understand what that feels like and you know it, it'll make you use your limbs in a different way a different way of orchestrating different way of of soloing um, and it's, it's really, it's great. You know, my students love it. I love it. The possibilities are endless. So, so this you know. is your method. That's my method. Yeah. You got to write that all that down. <laughs> yeah, I can do that for you. <laughs> yeah. It's, I want to do it. It's, it's, it's really, it's really great, you know, and it's, it's just, you know, and you're using my thing is that I love using classical repertoire, or let's say, I don't know if you want to call it traditional repertoire, but let's say classical repertoire, applying it to drum set and coming up with some some clever stuff, some slick stuff on the drum set. It's the same thing for the Cerrone. Cerrone, it looks hard, but man, you take that same idea, you, you take each phrase or each bar and you make a cell of that. And then you say, okay, I'm going to orchestrate this on the drums, or I'm going to make it uh, its own thing on the drum set. What can I do? Man, right. it forces and, and it's it's killing, man. It's great. Yeah, that you book's know? hard. I worked through that book a lot in college. It's hard. It's a hard book, though. 
it's a hard book, right? Yeah. But once you start, you know, I'm, you know, not that in a perfect world, I would make, I, I, I think I would, um, would make a YouTube video of me playing it and then, you know, have the concept out that way so people can see it. Because a lot of times, you know, when I pull out the classical books, my, my students, that's the last thing they want to see. They don't want to see some kind of snare method. They know syncopation. They know stick and draw. That's it. They don't want to see, or they know, uh, um, what is it? The, uh, uh, what is the thing that, that Kenny Washington uses all the time? I got the book, the, uh, the rudimental solos. Uh, oh, uh, Wilcoxon. Um, Wilcoxon. Yeah. yeah. You know, they know that, you know, but you know, that book's hard too. That book's is amazing. Oh, and I got the other part, the book that I got from your, your, your podcast, the, um, the, uh, the, the Italian guy, um, who wrote uh, <laughs> who wrote another way of playing the uh, the Wilcoxon that Kenny that Kenny Washington was talking about? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Remember that? Yeah. The uh, uh, I forget <laughs> I forget some kind of name that he that he wrote. But I mean I opened that up. I'm like man this it's really hard. But with the classical books, it gives I like that because it gives and it just seems that there's more space to come up with ideas uh, on the drum set. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, looking, so, I'm looking I mean, up this, uh, uh, this Arsenal 26 standard rudiment. Arsenal. No, I got that. And so what's the book afterward? The, the, the book. Arsenal is, uh, that's the CD. Right. So the book is Coletti or, uh, what was that guy's name? Um, Dominic Cuccia. Yep, that, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Dominic, Dominic Cuccia. Yeah. Have you looked at the book? No. <laughs> oh, is <laughs> it hard? <laughs> It's a hard book. <laughs> it's a hard book. I'm like, goodness gracious, yeah. Um, yeah, you got to have some time, you know, to, to spend on that. But see, once again, Nick, you know, when you oh, the beat, when you Is it the beat out, of a different drummer? Sorry, I just cut yes. off. Yeah, yes. is that what it is? Yeah, that's okay. it. Yep, yep. When you, when you, you know, like the students, when they open up of that book, they, they say, okay, what am I going to do? Am I learning these solos? or I learned one of the solos, what am I going to do with it? And then you're stuck. Then you're bored and you're like, okay, it helps build your chops. Yeah. And I'm then like, what do you do with that's, it? That's, then what do you do with it? Exactly. So what I try to do with it right from the beginning, it's not about chops. It's about orchestration. It's about taking each cell or each idea or each, each bar, um, and coming up with, um, uh, uh, uh something on the drum set that that's a little different mm-hmm. and everybody is going to You're going to look at it and come up with something different than, than, than I would. I can give you a method, but right. I think it's better if, if I say, Nick, go home and we're going to deal with only the first four measures, come up with a, a system of playing these first four measures that we can apply for the whole solo, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and it's going to be different from mine. You know, right. we're playing the same rhythm. We're playing the same music, but we're doing different orchestrations, different, you know, um, and I think that's what that's that's a fun way of, of, of playing, uh, taking these classical, these classical books and um, using them for drum set, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Now you got me. Once, now I got to look at that. I got to look at the uh, that Cuchilla book. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. Uh, and I mean, but, you know, it gets it makes you think, you right. know, and, and, and like we said before, man, the end of the, at the end of the day, 
it's your duty <laughs> to think. You right. should want to be a thinking drummer or think. I don't even want to say drummer. You should want to be a thinking musician. Person, a person, I think. <laughs> you should be okay. You should be yeah. You should be exactly. You should be want to be a thinker. You know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think because I mean, the, the mind is is so powerful. You know, and it's so easy to not think, to just copy, just turn on YouTube and say, I'm a cop, this thing that Pridgen did. I'm, okay, but man, like you said, it's the idea, being the birther of, of an idea right. or a concept. Mm-hmm. Man, that's the thing, you know? Like, you know, it's the same way with, with syncopation. You know, everybody's got their way um, of, of playing syncopation. And it's usually the, the you know, the certain six, four, four or five ways. Mm-hmm. Man. Why can't you sit down and come up with your own uh, uh, syllabus or symbol system to play um, syncopation differently? Yep. Why does it have to be this way? You can come up with something that pushes yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You know, just you don't accept it. Yeah, just don't accept it as being, uh, being having to, to be played this way because all of these, everybody says it has to be played that way. Right. You know, be a thinker and say, fuck that, man. I'm going I'm to come up with a way. I'm, sh- I'm sorry. I shouldn't say, um, I'm oh, going to no, come up with a way. <laughs> I'm going to come up with a way that's, that's, that I'm hearing it. Right. And then you master that. And trust me, guys will be coming to you saying, man, what is that? And can you teach me? Can you show me? You're a bad cat. Right. And that's what I think, you know, that makes you feel good. When people come up to you and say, man, how did you think of How did you come up with that? Mm-hmm. Well, I came up with it. I just sat in the basement or in my practice room and, and I, I, put I, in I the had work. the desire. I Exactly. I had the desire. I had the, you know, to want to make it better, to want to make. I knew there was more in this solo than 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 what I was looking at. So. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm with you, man. So I am. with Yeah, you. man. So for anyone uh interested in in keeping tabs on clarence i suggest that you check out his site uh check him out on facebook check him out on twitter go see him play live do yourself a favor and do that and also go out and and uh and sort of find yourself and spend the time in the practice room to create your your own thing and and don't just take what is what's already been written as uh as gospel go out and create your own journey and Clarence, I want to thank you for for taking all the time to chat with me for all of the positive energy that you put out for the drumming community, for what you do for the for the music world. Uh, we appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being part of this podcast. And I just want to publicly say that uh, that I appreciate everything that you do and safe travels and good luck on the tour and all that. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. Like I said before, man, keep doing this keep um, our community alive and 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 I, I know you have tons of listeners man this is um, you know I, I I look at it now as a as one of those TV shows that I, I'm like okay I can't wait to hear the next podcast <laughs> I mean this is this is what it's about man I can tell I can tell that you care um, keep keep doing it man uh, keep def- doing it and, and giving guys the opportunity just to to, to talk man you know? uh, I not talk will. shop but just be human. Right. And anytime, anytime you'd like to come back, man, you are more than welcome. I'd love to have you. All right. Thanks, Nick, man. Thank you. I'll be talking to you soon. Okay, buddy. All right. Thanks, Claire. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
That's a wrap. Thanks for sticking around for this longer style format. Again, I asked people if they wanted it in a long format or if they wanted it broken up into two, and the majority has spoken. They said that they want one long format. So I think that I'll continue to do that from now on. And if you're digging that vibe of the longer form rather than cutting it in half, just let me know. Also, you can get links to everything that we talk about at drummersresource.com forward slash session 222. Also, pick up your free five-part email series on how to get bigger and better gigs at drummersresource.com forward slash gigs. It's 100% free. It's everything I've ever done to get bigger and better gigs and to play with my heroes and take my career from one level to the next to the next. Drummersresource.com forward slash gigs is where you can find that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And if you love the podcast, do me a favor. Share it with your friends. Let people know about it. Spread the word. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. Do whatever you can to help spread the word to let more people know about the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.